I made a profound discovery. Oh, as as we were about to beep for this podcast, as we have talked about hmm. uh, our, our little pre pre podcast ritual. Uh huh. We both use iPhones. Yes. We have turned the volume all the way up when we beep. And I noticed, you know, how on iOS, when you hit the volume button, you get a tiny little volume meter on the top left. It just kind of shows. Well, it slides out next to the buttons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you grab that thing with your thumb. Oh, no. Before it goes away, you can just jog it up and down with your thumb like a slider until you're happy with volume. I like that it has the word volume above it. So you know that it's the volume now, too. Wow. This is this is truly revelatory. Yes. Revelatory. 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 Um, that's fantastic. I had no idea. I'd never yeah. seen that before. Yeah. Hidden UI tricks. I'm going to tell you, I used my, um, I can't remember what they call it, the, the, the special button that replaced the silence button the other day for the first time. Oh, do you have that? Yeah. Because like when it but oh, right. I, Right. You got the new phone. That's I right. ended up getting it after all, you know, mistakes were made, but it goes to a portrait selfie. So I can never take selfies just like always. It's perfect. Wait, can't you customize the action? You it, yeah, you can make it do whatever you want. I chose portrait selfie. So I was like, I'm going to start taking selfies. Turns out I don't ever take selfies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mission accomplished, guys. Good job. Yeah, I don't, I don't I'm not sure I'm going to love that when that inevitably rolls out to whatever next phone I get. I got to tell you, rumors are there's an SE4 coming next year. Oh, I know. Wait, the next year? Well, this year. Now. now it's this year, right? Yeah, it's this year now, I guess. <laughs> Next year became this year about six weeks ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, not being able to see or see or feel if the switch is on or off to know if it's muted or not is not great for me. Well, it turns out you have a little uh, icon at the top right next to your Verizon thing that says, oh, yes, the alarms are silent. Yeah, I guess. Sometimes you just want to be able to reach in your pocket and feel if that switch is on or not. Nope. Nope, I don't ever want to reach in my pocket. My pockets are too tight to put my hand in there with the phone. I got to pull the phone out to do anything. You got the baggy pants. Yes. Before this cold open is over, you want to talk about hell divers? For yeah, I was going to say, speaking of baggy pants, you know, you ever uh, jump from space into into a hot, hot drop combat zone? Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Over and over. It's possible. It's possible. I think both of us spent our normal podcast preparatory time during the week, uh, potentially rescuing Super Earth from the alien and or robot menace. We're trying to uh, yeah, but look, it's it's this isn't going to be a battle that's won overnight. We're not no. we're going to be managing democracy for years to come. I think oh, I mean, first Arrowhead needs to win their battle against their servers. I mean, it's the, the watching them respond to this this week has been remarkable. I think they've done a really, really good like the servers are still having problems just to be clear. We're recording this on Saturday morning. Yeah, like some some pretty severe ones. I but I mean, like, but I don't I don't blame them. Like, I kind of feel for them because. They have flat out said, hey, this thing, this thing sold four to five times more copies already than our wildest projections. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of the, they're getting player numbers like they they had a peak yesterday of 257,000 players or something Friday yeah. night. Yes. And and like that seven days into this new game, the, the first game was successful enough to get a sequel, but not it, it didn't light the world on fire. Yeah. Um, like getting that kind of numbers is going to expose bottlenecks and and bad stuff in your network infrastructure that just there's no way to predict right like you can't you can't it's not like they could have tested this they could have set up a testing apparatus that would have helped them find the whatever the problem is with their with their login stuff and and um and even if they had it probably wouldn't have been worth spending money to fix prior to launch because why would you fix a problem that only impacts you if you're the fifth most popular game on steam yeah or three it was actually it was almost number Holy two cow. last night they were they were like counter-strike still way out in front i think dota was number two is that right still i think that's usually what it is yeah and, but it, and it, was, like, it was it was within like ten thousand players of number two most played game on steam 
I saw like right now they're number three right now with 337 of oh, right now is the 20, 24 hour peak Saturday morning. So 330,000, 333,827 players that will probably continue to rise throughout the day. Like they are, um, they are, it, yeah, the, like there's no way to predict this. They're doing a really good job. I think the fact that the game is working for anyone at any given time, I think they've said they've, they keep increasing the, the capacity and the rate at which they can sign in players. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, it's, it, it's, they're learning and reacting as they go, I think. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's an incredible game. Really, really remarkable. It's very, it's so good. How good is it? It's it's so good that last night when trying to log into the game was just giving an error that said minus one, nothing else. Mm-hmm. It was that broken. Yeah. I still sat there trying to get in over and over until I finally got in. And then even knowing there was a problem where missions were not rewarding any kind of progress. Doesn't matter. I still played an hour of it and sure enough, got no progress at the end of those missions. It turned out actually like, like to their credit. It turned out logging out and back in would then reward you all the currency and XP oh, that you missed. That's nice. So I didn't actually lose anything, but but even sitting there banging my head against it and knowing it wasn't quite going to work right, I still couldn't do anything but play I, it. I, I finished my Fortnite stream last night. We played a round of rounds, as is our way. And um, then I rolled straight. Like everybody else logged off. I was like, I'm going to go play some Hell Divers. And I sat there and waited. It took me 10 minutes to log in, but I got in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, for people who don't know. It's basically like this is reductive and I apologize, but it's like they made Starship Troopers, the video game, um, but without the Starship Troopers license. And also it's good. Yes. Except for when it's actually the, the first five minutes of Terminator 2, the video game instead Sometimes, of Starship yeah. Troopers. It's yeah. either or. Yeah. And like it's it's they they did a it's a really it seems like they toned down the team damage on the lower difficulty levels this week, which was a nice change uh, after last week's. uh, Hey, let's try the widespread aerial bombardment mission. I don't know. I consider that more of a feature than something to be balanced. I mean, it's well, it's interesting because it is like there they well, I mean, I think we should I think we're going to dig into this in in maybe the patron episode when it's when we're allowed to talk about off topic stuff. But it like they broke a bunch of good co-op game design rules and it works. And it's it's like kind of shaken up people in that space that I know. Yeah, people are having a lot of fun with it. So. Yes, if if this if this becomes the next uh, big most influential game in multiplayer design, I'm going to be very happy. I'll put it the, that way. The one thing I will say is that I really love. I love the way they're communicating when people are like, hey, this needs a PvP mode if you're going to be serious about it. Because basically it's a co-op PvE extraction shooter, right? Yeah. You have to go in, you lose some stuff, you do some missions, and then you get out. You know, so imagine Tarkov, but without the other people that make the game miserable. And of course, the Tarkov crowd is like, man, we want it. We want PvP. And the guy's like, no, we don't want you. Your 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 communities are toxic and bad. <laughs> so we're just going to make our PvE game. And, you know, like if you want that, go play Tarkov. It's there for you. That's great. That's great. Yeah, have, you, have, you that. seen, have you seen their studio motto? A game for everyone is a game for no one. It's great. That's perfect. I mean, except for the, the third most popular game on Steam today. So I guess everyone does like. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, maybe, maybe paradoxically, they did make a game for everyone. Hey, uh, let's do this podcast. So hey, do you want to play some Helldivers after we edit the podcast? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. 
welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, hello. 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 Um, this is the first time I've played a game that's left me awake in the wee hours of the morning yes. in a while. So. Yes. I, and I'm, I am past the stage in my life where I can sleep in. Oh, no. I don't have a problem with that. Without chemical intervention. Hmm. Uh, so staying up till, say, one or two in the morning. You're paying for it? Yes, it just means I'm going to truncate my total sleep time rather than shift it back some number of hours. So oh. Friday was rough. I'm doing better today. I'll take a good nap at the end of the day. Like mm. from five o'clock, I'll lay down for like 30 minutes, be good to go. There, there are no people on the planet I am jealous of or despise more than people who sleep easily. Mm. I, I can't I, I can't nap. I just I, I lie down and lay there for whatever allotted time I have to nap. I lie there trying to sleep and then get back up. So I put in the I put in the AirPods. I put on the sleepy mix on Apple, Apple Music and just close my eyes and it's just off to never, never land. And then Man. I wake up and yeah. Uh, but this week, Brad, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird, weird podcast week. Uh, we were going to do, we were going to do the John Romero book. And then for reasons that are inexplicable to me, I didn't finish reading it this yeah. week. Weird. weird. Yeah. Huh. Weird that. I wonder how that happened. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I got, I just got to the part where they had to make the SNES version of Wolfenstein. Dude, that part we'll talk about it is buck wild. There was, there was something in something very revealing in there that blew my fucking mind because maybe there's a little teaser for the upcoming episode. Something they had to do to frantically get that SNES port of Wolfenstein done mm-hmm. kind of dictated the entire course of development of Doom and Quake from there on. Oh, I haven't gotten to that bit yet. Oh, did it? Well, okay. I will tell you what it is. You'll, you'll find out very shortly. Oh, wow. It's, it's like, it's like one of the most amazing examples I have ever seen of kind of like necessity breeding invention kind of thing, you know, of like, oh my God, we have a contract that we have to fulfill in two weeks. How are we going to get this done? Oh, hey, this algorithm we've never heard of before. Oh, you'll get there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You'll okay, get there. yeah. Um, so yeah, the book is called Doom Guy: Life in First Person. It's written by John Romero. It feels like it was actually written by him and not by like a like a oh, yeah. uh, ghost ghostwriter collaborator type situation. A, I think they would have to credit a ghostwriter, but they, no, maybe, maybe you can pay somebody enough to, yeah. to not credit them, I guess. Um, but B, like if you've read his blogs or his Twitter, like it, it, the book is written exactly the way that he writes. Everything. It's voicey. Yeah. yeah. His blog is also great. We'll save that as well. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so if you want to read that, I think, uh, next week we have a Q and A and then the week after so you have two more weeks basically yes. to yeah, hammer that, through it. Yeah. I think, I think three weeks feels like a better window to ask people to get and read a book than one. Well, so that was the other thing is I, like reading digital books. I never know how long books are. Yes. And I was, I, I mowed through like the early childhood and like early programming days. I was like, Oh, this isn't going to be that, that long. And then I looked down, I was like, Oh, it's, I'm at 8% or something. Yeah. So it's, it's not a, it's, it's not a long book, but it's not a, you know, it's not like a Patrick Rothfuss, George R. R. Martin deal, but it's also not a short book. Yeah. So. It's, there's, there's some heft to it. Yeah. I, I hate that about, I mean, maybe different e-readers are different about it, but at least on the Kindle, a lot of books I get these days don't even have traditional page numbers. It's like location. Well, you can turn it on. That's a, that's a setting on the Kindle. Some of them. If you're using Libby, it's different. Or the the like when I check out books from the library, it's different than when I buy them from Amazon. That's what it is. Sometimes it's it's mostly library books through like OverDrive and stuff. Yeah, it'll be like location and other like weird abstract ebook metrics, but not traditional page numbers. Hey, so I learned something the other day. What's that? Well. Did you know that library systems that you don't live in will give you ebook library cards? No. Yeah, so like I can get an ebook library card for San Francisco libraries. You can get one for San Mateo libraries, and then you have a wider pool of available books to borrow without the queue. How does that work? Don't they authenticate off of something? Some of them don't care. 
Huh. Like so a lot of them, a lot of them are just like if you're for ebook and e materials checkouts where we're you don't have to live in the region. Oh, this is sanctioned. This is not a. Yeah, it's, like, it's not. It's not like one? a hack. No, no. It's wow. like the San Mateo one was like the San Mateo one. When I I went to get a, I had to get a, go get a physical library card because I've had an electronic one for ages from San Mateo and the county in which I live. Just to be clear, and when I went in to get the physical card, the librarian was like, "Hey, by the way, do you have a San Francisco library card?" I was like, "Well, I used to when I lived in." San Francisco. And she's like, well, you can, you know, you, you're, you're allowed to still use the San Francisco public library when you live in California. So there you go. I'm cutting this from the podcast. What? I can't increase my competition for books and movies. But so the San Mateo one doesn't use the Q system. You just, everybody gets it. Uh, what? Oh, I don't, it's, I don't, it's, it's not I don't, a number of copies. It's my, something like she, oh. she, I didn't understand what she was saying. It was confusing and scary to me, but I just nodded and said, yes, that sounds great. I mean, that, that's all, that's kind of like a site licensee sort of thing, right? Like, like San Francisco, most books, it'll be like, Hey, we have like 30 ebook copies and 28 of them are checked out kind of thing. But yeah. So she said that they're using a new thing in San Mateo that doesn't have the normal queue. And oh, I don't know wow. what that means yet. Cause I haven't tried it. Wow. That's why I had to go get the physical card anyway. Okay. So libraries, yeah. uh, but this week, this week we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to, there, there was interesting tech news that was, I think worth getting into. I think we, we talked about it and we were like, there's, there's interesting stuff here to talk about. So, uh, there's a, you probably saw it. There was a, on Friday, there was a, uh, open AI Sora AI created video montage that they posted. Um, uh, we're also going to talk today about the EU's digital markets act, which among other things targets, uh, large tech companies that are gatekeepers for users and is going to have some pretty significant changes for the app store and third-party app stores in the eu at least yeah that's that's manifested in a couple of very acute ways with apple in particular the last i don't, I don't think they're month. very cute personally but no probably not but uh, i think i think the digital markets act itself has been around for a year or two but it's more like how how platform holders are now starting to have to respond to it. That's what's news here. Yeah. And, and some of them, I mean, we're not going to get into all the, it affects app alphabet, Amazon, Apple, ByteDance, meta and Microsoft. We're not going to talk about all this. We're just going to talk about Apple today because it is a pretty broad, impactful piece of legislation. Yes. The way Apple's reacting to it is, is kind of sketchy. And then the last part is dice happened this week. Uh, dice is the, is the, it's like, if GDC is where the people who make games go to do stuff, Dice is where a lot of the games business happens. That's where all the money is. Well, it's kind of like there's a there's like a if you're if you're selling a game, if you are a studio and you want to pitch your game to publishers and get publisher deals, you start usually you kind of precede some stuff before Dice. You get a bunch of Dice meetings and then you go sign deals at GDC. Is the is the ideal kind of pipeline? Uh, and so. I was curious, was asking friends who were there. Danny O'Dwyer posted some stuff on 10, um, who, who was also there, like the, the vibe out of dice. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, but let's start with Sora. This I is, I, did, I didn't take you for a kingdom hearts fan, but go on. It's yeah. I was going to say, I, I was, is this a final fantasy thing or, or a kingdom hearts one? I can't remember. Sora is very much kingdom hearts thing, but I, I doubt that's where this came from, but who knows? I guarantee you it's where it came from guarantee you so um for somebody who listened to i don't know 30 hours of waypoints lore reason stuff trying to understand what kingdom hearts is i still don't know why they would name it sora um but it's an ai driven video generation tool so in the same way that chat gpt will create text out of copyright infringement and um uh, 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 uh dolly will create images out of copyright infringement sora will create video out of copyright infringement now it seems like 
Is is Dolly Open AI's one? Dolly is Open AI, I, I believe. Get, okay, I get. I I have a hard time keeping track. Who's Mid Journey? Is that one uh, open? That, uh, you know what? You're right. Dolly is uh, Mid Journey is Open AI. I think. Okay, that's okay. Dolly is open. I want to say, it's, or it's not. It's not theirs anyway. Like Open Open AI is like the monolith in this space, right? I mean, everybody's doing AI stuff now, but they're the one that's like, oh. Billions of dollars in investments and Musk and Sam Alton and, and like that they're they're the kind of like valley darling of AI, right? So so they're one of the big they're one of the bigger ones. And I had it backwards. Dolly is open AI's mid journey is is independent. Oh, okay. Um the uh the, the yeah, the the, the they're the they've raised a whole bunch of money uh from a bunch of different people. They have a large Microsoft investment. They're they're tied to Microsoft in some in some key ways. They're also licensing, I think I want to say that. Elon Musk's thing on 10 is is a chat GPT license. There's a bunch of people that are licensing chat GPT for tech spots. Interesting. I didn't realize yeah. they were just people were just taking it and slapping new names on it. That seems like and, and maybe maybe like putting some trying to put some guardrails on it a little bit. Um, That's good. That's good. I'm just surprised that they are allowed to just rebrand it as such. Well, I, I mean, you think about what their compute costs are generating these models and then running the the free web front ends for them. And they have to make money somewhere because yeah. even with billions and billions of dollars investment, they they um, they still have. And and just to be clear, their their valuation is enormous, right? It's uh, it's 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 dozens of billions of dollars, 80 billion dollars, 80, 80 billion is what after, I'm seeing. Yeah. After the after the Microsoft uh I want to say that was the Microsoft deal, but it might have been before. Yeah, Microsoft backed OpenAI valued at $80 billion after the deal completes. Um, so that's a triple tripling evaluation in 10 months. The problem is it's really expensive to do generative AI stuff, right? Because it requires a massive amount of community, like requires a lot of GPU. It's all expensive to, to run the queries, to generate the models that you run the queries against. Every It's all expensive, even when you're not paying anyone for content or paying for very little content. Um so they released a Sora video, which is like what ten or twelve clips of different types of video, including animation and um, uh, uh, photorealistic people, close-ups of people, like kind of like drone shots of landscapes, drone uh, paper animation, papercraft animation, like tracking drone shots of a car, like from a car commercial. Um, CG animation. They didn't do any 2D animation, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. CG animation. They did do. Uh, there's these, there's one on their page of prompt is historical footage of California during the gold rush, which is a bizarre anachronism. And it's like, it's like a drone shot uh, yes. down a creek on like a gold rush town. It looks right. like, like it's, it's weird, but it's weird because they applied an old timey kind of shaky f- old film stock sort of filter to it. Yeah. To capture a time when that didn't even exist. You know what I mean? It's it's just like, it's just a generic aesthetic of old video or old film, even though you couldn't have made this in real life. Yeah. And and it's, it's almost sepia. Like it's almost like it's a bad sepia anyway. But the point is, um, it's all generated off of, and they show the text query beforehand. So, yeah, for example, they, a gorgeously rendered papercraft world of a cor- coral reef rife with colorful fish and sea creatures. And then you see, like, paper, kind of papery looking fish. I don't know. They don't, I don't, it doesn't look like a thing you could really make with paper in a way that, like, it doesn't look real 
like like a real paper animated scene would look necessarily. No, no it looks it looks fake. Yeah, but, the, but you know, I, I will say for what it's worth, you know, especially a lot of this real life stuff. Like it's the first it's the first AI generated video I've seen that is believably real looking. I guess I would say it's funny because it's stuff that I think to me if it if it showed up in like as like a three second shot in something, I would totally buy it as real. But if you have any time at all to linger, like Oh, for sure. A, there's a close up of an old man and you look at him and his like nose and glasses and eyes and the wrinkles on his face and his beard look really good. His hair is a little bit wispy, but then you look at his ear and it's not, not an ear. Like it's oh, absolutely. Yeah, vaguely it's a, reminiscent of an ear. It's absolutely going to have all the telltale signs of AI, not understanding reality. I mean, they actually, Mention that on on the the it's openai.com slash Sora for what it's worth. The current model has weaknesses. It may struggle with accurately simulating the physics of a complex scene and may not understand specific instances of cause and effect. For example, a person right. might take a bite out of a cookie, but afterward the cookie may not have a bite mark. Uh, the model may also confuse spatial details of a prompt, for example, mixing up left and right, and may struggle with precise descriptions of events that take place over time, like following a specific camera trajectory. So like there's and there's 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 also places that it just makes weird mistakes like this is a stop motion image of video of a flower blooming and when you look at the flower it's like oh the flower looks good it's in a clay pot that looks pretty normal and then you look at it's on a clearly on a sill there's a curtain so it's inside and then when you look behind it there's like a couple of windows and it's the outside edges of the windows with like outside window siding on it. And I, and I, so it's like both sides are outsides. I, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's supposed to be louvered shades. It's hard to tell, but it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot of, it's kind of unsettling. Yes. Um, like the animated stuff is they do these really long two paragraph long prompts for the animated characters. Like one of them's like a little deep furry demon guy. And when you look at it, they just don't have any of the, they don't follow any of the 15 principles of animation, right? So there's no, or if they do, it's only because of the, it's only because the stuff that it's copying does that maybe. Sure. So it lacks intentionality that like the neat thing about animation is all is usually that, you know, somebody, somebody literally posed every frame or every third frame or every fifth frame or whatever. And, and when you remove that intentionality from animation, it often just doesn't it doesn't work the same way. It doesn't right. have the same kind of magic and it doesn't revoke the same human reaction in us. Yeah. On, on the subject of AI copying stuff, have you seen this thing where, and I don't know which model they were using for this, but like this was going around on Twitter that they were able to, with the most generic prompts possible, basically have it spit out uh, Joel and Ellie from the last of us over and over and over with, with different, <laughs> different, again, extremely vague descriptions of like, middle-aged man and teenage girl in an apocalypse like just stuff like that flat weird what a weird coincidence and it was just coming out with iteration after iteration of characters that were so unmistakably those two characters that's not unsurprising to yes, me yes yes I'll, I'll say like the most believable thing on here that i've seen is probably this like follow shot of like a some kind of truck driving on like a windy mountain road yeah, I thought that like, one that one was pretty that one was was pretty good. The 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 TVs, like the TVs, the old TVs stacked up with a bunch of random footage on them worked for me weirdly. Um the guy sitting on the cloud reading the book was pretty good until you looked at it for a moment and then you're like, "Oh, right, that's not the way. None of this is going to work that way. That's that doesn't seem right." Um and then the tilt shift construction site was okay too, I thought. But like just generally speaking, it's 
I, I mean, a lot of it, it kind of, it's kind of like karaoke, right? Sure. So like this, this picture of the squirrel or chipmunk or something bouncing through the forest with huge DreamWorks cartoon eyes. And then it, it just, it's, it's like, they know that the big eyes make the animal cute. The machine knows that the big eyes make the animal cute, but it doesn't, it doesn't know the other things that you do to make the animal cute. Jesus right? God, man. I just pulled that thing up. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's really fucking disturbing. That's awful. <laughs> but I also can't stop looking at it. Well, it's, it's like here, I, I'm going to, I got a, I got our screenshot for the image here for the, Great. for the episode. Right. But yeah, it's just like, it's just, it's just, it's just disturbing. You're you've, you've nailed it. So, um, and like all of the open AI stuff, presumably this is, this is made with stolen copyrighted content that, you know, they're trying to make not, uh, fair that they're trying to claim as fair use. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm, I see this and I am bummed out by it. Yeah. Pretty much same. This, this definitely falls under the bad use of AI when we've talked about like, you know, DLSS is good. That yeah. opens that open source library that that identifies species of birds in real time is good. Well, we talked about um, we the, talked about this in my Twitch chat the other night. And somebody was like, "Yeah, I saw a company the other day that's doing like a, an AI to help you manage like healthcare stuff, like finding doctors and dealing with insurance companies and all that." And I was like, "That actually sounds like a useful like that's a time saver." If, if I had, yeah. if it works, if it works. Right, right up until it gives you right up until it misunderstands your condition or like gives you the wrong advice in a time sensitive situation or something. Maybe we'll get to that in the other little AI story we have here after well, we're done to, with this video. Just to be clear, I think that's not for it's not for like medical advice. It's more for like uh, an agent that will deal with your insurance company for you. Sure. So, yeah, um, I mean, if it's able to understand your policy better than you have time to do, then maybe that. Sure. Yeah, just let my chatbot like the the insurance company gets a chatbot. Why don't I get a chatbot to grind down their chatbot? Is is this is what the coming robot war is? Is going to be the uh, chatbot versus chatbot? God, more of the chatbots. Um, I I wrote a question here in the notes about Sora and other AI driven video. What ultimately is this going to be used for? Like Spam. what? Like yeah, right. Like what actual use case is this going to fill in a way that is convincing and actually serviceable? Because like people out there going like oh you're gonna just come home and generate another season of that canceled tv show you love at night instead of pulling up netflix those people don't understand why people engage with art right like that's completely delusional unless unless there's some massive paradigm shift that we have yet to see uh that's, so, that's that's not happening. So, like, what are they going to do with this? Well, okay. So we've already seen the rise of the large language models basically render the text web useless, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you search for specific sites or you limit your search in specific ways, like you you can't ask a generic question without getting just page after page of absolute garbage. Now, so um, my take on this is that when we make these tools to create the content easier and then the the ai companies say things like we're taking important safety steps ahead of making sora available in open ai's products we're working with red teamers domain experts in areas like misinformation hateful content and bias who are adversarially testing the model now what that says to me is yes we're doing the bare minimum that we have to do to make sure that this thing that we unleash into the world uh doesn't you know cause genocides maybe but the problem is there's a finite number of the red teamers. There's a finite number of people that are, that are moderating the content that comes out of this thing. And because you can generate, it's so easy to generate content. You can, you can make stuff that is specific 
to like an individual target. It's not like you have to generate, you know, in the old days, if you wanted to generate a spam email, you would generate and you'd write one email that would go out to 300,000 people. And you'd hope that one, one tenth of a percent of people clicked on that and you got 10 bucks out of it. Right. With this, you can make 300,000 videos, each individually targeted and unique. So the, like, there's no moderation that you know, it's not like you can moderate 300,000 independent videos. Um, and and as a result, we're going to make the moderation problem for this content that's generated infinite, basically. And the and the threat surface is just bigger and bigger and bigger with every new type of content. So yeah, sure they'll they'll like they'll prevent you from making a video of Joe Biden saying that he's going to have Donald Trump summarily executed. But they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to stop the guy who's like, yeah, give me a video of a red hair, uh, of a guy with brown hair and a red beard with white at the chin and glasses begging for his life so that so that they send that to my parents and ask for ransom money, right? Like that's that's the outcome of that's that's where we're going. It's already I mean we're already seeing voice models being used to mimic people and to extract ransoms from 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 parents and loved ones and stuff like that. Yes. It's grim. It's grim. This is this is a grim future. We we had like twenty years where the where the information was generally available and pretty reliable for the most part, and that's all evaporating now. So yes. thanks AI companies. Yes, thanks for that. Not applying to jobs AI companies on an unrelated note. Got a couple other quick AI tidbits here. Yeah. Did you see Nvidia? Is this? I mean, this blog just went up on thirteenth. I don't know if they had announced this prior to this chat with RTX. Have you seen that? This like, was this is oh. This is, on, basically, missed... this is basically a local chatbot that will run on your NVIDIA card that they're putting out. But I believe you have to plug the large language model into it yourself. If I'm that not mistaken. That makes sense, maybe. Which large language model do they want you to use? Uh, Mistral and Llama 2 are two that they mention. Hmm. Uh, users can quickly, easily connect local files on a PC as a data set to an open source large language model like Mistral or Llama 2. Hmm which is essentially a way to kind of give you a chat GPT equivalent that runs on your graphics card. It seems I'm probably okay. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I think, I think that there are places where, where this stuff will end up being useful. I don't think it's creating entertainment, honestly. Yes. Like, like I think you know, having an AI, having a chat model that can, I like at the same time, like the thing that th all the things I think of are, are bad. Like, would I want to use a large language model to call in a pizza order for me? So I don't have to talk to somebody on the phone. No, only an incredible asshole would think that that is a good idea. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you. No, thank you. And then yeah. Yeah, as far as, as far as like generating entertainment, I mean, I have seen some AI driven stuff on Twitch that people have run like that Seinfeld thing. And there was like a fake presidential debate channel running for a while. And like those things ended up being funny, but not for the reasons that, human created material is funny. You know, they were, they were only funny in the way that they were fucked up. You know what I mean? It was like, this is like surreal in a way that only AI could do, but that's not what you're looking for. If you are a Seinfeld fanatic and want a new season of Seinfeld, right? Well, it's funny. So I read an article completely unrelated to this the other day about people who are trying to find the funniest words and like what made some words funnier than others. Oh, good. I bet this will turn out great. It's this is I'm going to go and tell you it's going to make you worried. So the idea is that words like there are words that sound there's a, there's several classes of words and I, some of them don't matter for my argument here. Like, for example, words that sound dirty, but aren't like Wong or dongle or Focky. 
those are funny words, but they, it's because they sound like words that are inappropriate. So you have like a reaction to thinking you're hearing a rude word and then it turns out to not be rude. Uh, K words with K's in them generally are funny. And it's because K comes up in specific structures. And when K sounds are outside of those specific structures, it's novel and weird. And your brain reacts often with a laugh out of that. So, um, uh, I'm trying to come up with the example. I'm looking for the examples right now, but it was like a uh, cod swallop and, and, um, uh, lummox which is a kind of a K sound at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the, the K sound being novel and phonemes are coming into the word in an order. That's not part of the normal structure is, is one of the things that made words funnier when uh, like toothy weasel is a funny phrase they said, and it has a bunch of phonemes that go together in a way that is almost entirely unique in the English language. So anyway, my, I think that's why that Seinfeld stuff is funny is because they were juxtaposing things that aren't normally against each other that were often nonsensical, but still, but, but like your brain was just so off kilter from what, what it was getting that it, that it ended up working, but only in a limited context. Cause the problem is after you watch that Seinfeld thing for like 45 minutes, it stopped being funny yes, at all. That was exactly it. It's like, Oh, this is novel and kind of throwing me for a loop and I'm laughing at some of it. And then yeah, eventually very quickly you're like, all right, I've, I've, I've gotten the gimmick. I'm good. Yeah. A friend of mine who's funnier than me described that as the family guy effect. Okay. Because he was like, look, if you, if you, it's just a series of infinite non sequiturs, eventually the non sequiturs stop being funny. It's why the sure. guy has to be 23 minutes long. Sure. I can see that. Uh, the one other little AI story here is this uh, piece from Ars Technica uh, about this Air Canada refund kerfuffle farce. Yeah. Where a customer, customer asked, I mean, like many companies, Air Canada was using a chatbot to automate their online chat support, text, textual chat support. A, a grieving customer who had lost a family member was looking to book a like a day of plane ticket, asked the chatbot about their bereavement policy. Mm-hmm. The chatbot gave that customer a much more generous bereavement policy than actually existed. And they bought a ticket, assuming that that was going to be the case, tried to pursue the refund, was told like, no, that's not actually the policy. And that customer took them to court and they were forced to pay. Good for them. Good for uh, the yes. customer. Yes. This is, this has happened a couple of times. This isn't the first time there was a chat GPT AI tool that somebody has been selling to auto car dealers in the U S and, uh, somebody used, was able to push the chatbot to offer them a $1 deal on a $58,000 car, uh, by just kind of poking at the chatbot in a way that is like using known vulnerabilities. Yeah. Right. I, I saw that going around, but I surely they were not forced to honor anything like that. I don't think the lawsuits happened yet. I, th- I think they'll, I mean, I feel like there was ill intent with that, that it didn't, it wasn't in, uh, implied with this one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, this one is, is a hundred percent benign and on, on the level. And this is also the first legal judgment I've seen that has forced a company to comply with their <laughs> out of control chatbot. So yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yes. This quote from the R story is insane to me. Which, which one? Uh, there were several that struck me. I'm curious which one grabbed you. That's the one I pasted here. According to Air Canada, Moffat, that's the customer, never should have trusted the chatbot and that the airline should not be li- liable for the chatbot's misleading information because Air Canada essentially argued that, quote, the chatbot is a separate legal entity that is responsible for its own actions. So the interesting thing to me is that they cared enough to go to court for 600 bucks, I think yeah. is what this was. Yeah, because it seems like... Th- setting this precedent maybe is bad for them way worse. They should have just paid him. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because the thing to me that stood out was that the judge was like, yo, how is this customer supposed to know that one part of your website is less reliable in, information than yeah. the other part of your website? Like, that's, that's one of the most insane arguments I have ever heard about anything. Yeah. So like full stop, like, what are you talking about? So, so yeah, I, I assume at least in Canada, probably we'll see a lot of these chatbots go away that, at least in the short term. That's exactly what I was going to say. It seems this seems like the fastest route to companies abandoning this technology wholesale. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think it's a really that's a good thing for 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 users. Uh, I would love to see similar action taken in the United States, because while chatbots are occasionally useful, I feel like the the less reliable they are, if they're not if they're not providing reliable information, they're they're they might as well be fired into the sun. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, Before we move on real quick, we were talking before we started recording and you mentioned that. AI investments has entered the trough or AI, like the fervor around AI and, and the companies advancing it has entered the trough of despair, which I did not realize. I, th- I kind of, I assumed in this like chilled investment environment, AI was the one thing that was immune to that and was still siphoning a lot, bunch of money, but maybe not. I mean, it seems so just in general, it seems like nobody's, there's not a lot of deals happening anywhere right now. Right. So I think that the Sora thing came out because open AI is probably about to start doing fundraising and, and, you know, they just did this Microsoft deal, which infused some cash, but, but I, they, they, like they have so many people and so much expense. I can't, and and also they're paying. It's not like, it's not like they're hiring at reduced salaries or whatever. They're paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for people who can do the AI engineering work um, that's, that's required for this. So it's, um, you know, like I, there's no arbiter of this. This is just to be clear. We're talking about the Gartner hype cycle again, which we've talked about before. It's the idea that a uh, new technology comes out there's a there's an initial wave of excitement as people are inflating their expectations until it reaches an an impossible uh to attain uh lofty kind of vision in the public we saw this happen with honestly we saw this happen with smartphones it happens to almost everything phones vr uh ai the crypto and web3 stuff went through it incredibly quickly um and then after you get to this peak, the reality sets in. The ideas of reality sets in, and and you start seeing the edges of this. Now, the AI, the generative model AI stuff, especially, had a really good first reaction to that because, like, the jump from no generative models to generative models that were way better than you would expect happened really, really quickly, and people got really excited about it. And you started. That's when I started getting questions from people at the player playground at my daughter's school that were like. Hey, can I use this chat GPT to do my marketing job? I was like, yeah, sure. You should absolutely do that. If you want to prove to your managers that you don't need a job and they should just replace you with the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had another thing in that context. I'm seeing, I've seen mention of this on Twitter and in, in places is people saying like they've got employees feeding confidential company information into remote chatbots run by other entities. Perfect. Uh, which is not ending well for their employment status. I, I also love that, like when you like I spent a fair amount of time on LinkedIn and job sites. And the, one of the most common pieces of advice I got is like, you should run your cover letter and resume through the through the generative models to see what they you know to see what they say you should do. And I was like, yes, that sounds like a great way to make your resume sound just like every other person's resume on the planet. Brilliant. Yeah. Of course, at the same time. The employers are filtering everyone's resumes through AI, AI filters. So, you know, maybe it maybe it is not a bad anyway. I don't know. I'm not uh, not an expert there. But the point is, it feels to me like we're into 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 the trough on the AI stuff because the 
the like chat GPT four was a little bit of a regression over three in a lot of ways. It was better in some ways, but, but definitely a step back in others. Um, we're seeing blowback from custom from consumers on this. Like there are some, there are some markets that just wholesale like tech journalism and, and video games. If you come out as, yeah, we built our product with AI, you're going to have a real hard time marketing your product. Uh, it seems like right now. So, um, we're, we're, you know, we're going to see a wave this year and next year of games that secretly use AI. You know, you saw what happened with Wizards when they replaced uh, card art made by artists at a company that was built by built on the labor of of illustrators, uh, and it didn't go well for Wizards. I mean, I think they recovered probably, but um, and then the idea is that eventually some some stuff comes out of this. And uh, just to be clear, all of this can stop at any time. Some stuff comes out of the trough. You know, uh, maybe VR has. I don't know that I would agree with that necessarily. The Web3 stuff definitely didn't. Crypto probably is still worth a lot of money, but I don't see further investment. Um, And uh, eventually it becomes either part of the normal background noise or continues to grow. You know, phones continue to grow VR kind of stalled. So, Um, but yeah, it seems like the the investment in AI stuff is is relatively small despite this big Microsoft deal. And and I I think the winners will be the big people like OpenAI. And if you have a small AI startup, you should plan to weather some bad times in the next year. So if you live in the uh, European Union, Mm -hmm. which I do. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't know your socialist paradise, Brad. Uh, and you use uh, iOS devices. Mm-hmm. You should expect to see some changes in coming coming months. According, uh, uh, thanks to the EU's Digital Markets Act, which uh, basically targets gatekeepers. Again, these are these are uh, software services and companies that they that the EU identified that kind of limit access to limit customer choice in certain specific areas. So for example, um, alphabet on uh, a lot of places limits, limits uh, search and advertising on search to only Google uh, companies and, and then they control the results that you see on, on Google searches. Um, they identified operating systems, which are uh, Android iOS and windows PC OS. So I never, never thought of it as Windows PCOS before. Windows PCOS. Sure. Yes, it's for the personal computer. That's yeah, true. Yes, the IBM compatible. Yeah, they looked at uh, browsers. Chrome and Safari were both identified. Chrome on Windows, presumably, and I guess everything, and Safari on iOS, specifically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like broadly, what this is, is basically interrogating the question of how much should a platform holder who has made the investment to build the platform then get to gatekeep what happens on the platform. Yeah. That's a that's a good way to put it. So uh, this applies to Apple because we're starting to see the first betas of the of the post DMA versions of iOS come out, and people have thoughts. Apple also released a giant document that described uh, what their their response to this, which is to allow third party app stores on iOS exclusively in the EU. It seems, and for EU customers. Oh, wait, so is that that's actually not like the, even the. Third-party app stores are not going to make it to the U.S.? I do not believe that the third-party app stores will be accessible in the United States, Brad. Interesting. I mean, this is where you see the difference between software implementation and hard and hardware manufacturing. Uh-huh. Because all the iPhones are, I mean, all the, the, the phones themselves, I should say, are going to USB-C because of the EU, right? Or may, maybe it was going to happen eventually anyway. I don't know. But 
I think, I mean, there was a data transfer reason too, as well. Cause like, as you're using iPhone iPhones, their story about using iPhones as professional cameras is kind of hampered by the fact that the ability to get data off the phones was limited to USB two speeds. Yeah, that's fair. I guess there is, there is something to that, but, um, still it's happening just coincidentally exactly when the EU is forcing it to happen. Yes. And and that's global because they're not going to, they're not going to run two different production lines to put different types of phones out or, you know, phones with different charging ports on them in different territories, but software much easier to lock out regionally witness. (laughs) And this is way even pre Elon Musk, like witness the much heavier moderation of Nazi related content in Germany on Twitter weird than ever took place in other territories. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess much easier to lock out something that's software based, based on territory. Yeah, that that's exactly it. So, um, the thing that's going to happen with this is, uh, they are going to allow third party app stores, but they put an unbelievable number of checks on them. So when you post software, even through one of the third party app stores, Apple still is going to check it for malware, legal compliance and data collection stuff to make sure it falls within their terms. Uh, if you want to run a third party app store, you need to show that you have access to a 1 million euro credit line so that you ha- uh, can guarantee that you can pay devs in the times time that they specify. Uh, apps that ship on third party stores will still have to pay Apple a core technology fee once they cross a million downloads. So if you like this is the punishing for success portion of your of your thing. And this is just to be clear, this is all apps, not just not just paid apps. So if oh. you ship a free version of your app on oh, no. a third party store, once it crosses a million downloads, you have to pay half a euro per device annually. Uh, which is, I think uh, the ours article pointed out is remarkably similar to the unity uh, access fee that they mm-hmm. tried to switch over to. Yes. Which was uh, soundly rejected by the, both the dev and player community. Yes. So, uh, so in, in essence, half a million euros per million downloads is what you owe Apple. No, 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 no. It's after you, after, uh, oh, after yeah, the threshold, after the first after, million. Sorry. Yes. I, I yeah, mean, minus, after, after minus half a million yes, euros. Yes. After, after the first million, but, but every yeah. million after the first is, is half a million euros in, in fees to Apple. Yeah. This, this, uh, this particular, this structure feels to me like it's precisely targeted to kind of shut down free to play games where there's a relatively large player base and a relatively small number of paying players. Yes, for sure. Cause I mean, what is, what is, what is like a good monetization rate in free to play? Like I have no idea two, these days, 2%, 5% of 10, I mean, 10%, it's I, I don't sing, know. A single of, digit percentage probably. Right, yeah. Of, right. Of, of downloads turning into money. So if you're paying half a euro annually per device that it's installed on, then that means like you're going to actively dissuade somebody from installing something on their phone and their iPad at the same time. It It is. It's also worth mentioning. It's unclear to me if this applies to iPad OS or if it's just phone, the phone version of iOS, because um, I, I think the idea is that Apple, I mean, the DMA language that I saw all talks about iOS, but I think iPad OS is in Apple's eyes, a separate OS. And I'll be interested to see if this applies to non-phone devices. Yes. Um, do, we, do we know how this is going to affect transactions for things that are like consumable items in free to play apps? Like once you've already got the app and like, let's say V bucks or something. Well, so that it's a good question. I don't know. It seems like this is a flat fee of 50 cents, uh, 50 half a euro per year per device. I don't believe that there's a royalty fee on top of that. What is, what is the sub euro denomination? I'm sure all of our European listeners are screaming now screaming or laughing at 
at the radio. Also, it's, it's not a, radio. It's a fractional, it's a milli-euro, right? Or a centi-euro? <laughs> sure. So they believe in decimal system over there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm American, uh, Brad. I don't have to understand this. Um, but yeah, the, the, so to contrast this from the normal app store where up until you you cross a million dollars, if you're, if you're just shipping, just to be clear, this doesn't apply if you're, if you're using the Apple app store, they're making the Apple app store terms just as favorable to developers as they, as they always have been uh, up until the point at which you cross a million dollars in annual revenue, you devs pay 15% of their, of their sale of their price. And after that it's 30%. So when you succeed, you pay more, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good to stick it to the, to the, to the winners rather than the people struggling. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, this is a real, it's a like uh, Tim Sweeney, I think described this as malicious compliance. <laughs> sure. Uh, as in like they, they're following the letter of the law, yes. but not the intent. There did, there just seems to be something a little spiteful about it. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think my guess is that, 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 uh, you know, that 50 cent, annual fee is basically designed to make sure that Fortnite uh is the more Fortnite succeeds the more they have to pay so um yeah anyway yeah, yeah. well sure enough apple has reinstated uh, epic's developer account in the eu yep and, and f- they're Fortnite making Fort- yeah they've announced that they're making it a, the uh, the epic store for ios uh for eu customers only so presumably that means we'll see fortnite for eu players back on the phones uh later this year or next year maybe i don't know what 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 is the capacity for location spoofing on an iphone you not, can not run anything I'm, through a vpn right okay, not not that i not that i uh want to play fortnite on an iphone but i'm sure a lot of people in the us will well well i assumed the authentication was much more stringent than just where does your IP appear to originate from? Oh, I think you'll have to activate it through a European provider probably. Okay, and, yeah. you know, do that whole, there's a almost certainly a rigmarole. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the whole thing. Like this feels this. So I would say this seems relatively harmless for most stuff, except as part of this, Apple is uh, part of this also is that they have to allow third party renderers on the phone, which they've traditionally resisted for for web pages. Yeah, web web browser rendering engines, we should say. Yeah. The, so so like on on for example, on Android, if you load Firefox, you get a different web rendering engine than you do if you use Chrome. Okay. When, I'm going to quiz myself here. Yeah. Do you remember? Can I, can I name all of them? I think it's Gecko on Firefox, isn't it? I, I Ge- believe that's correct. Gecko is Firefox's renderer. Um, Apple's WebKits is Chrome. It's not Chromium. What is the name of Google's? Chromium is the, I believe Chrome and Safari are both WebKit. Oh, Chrome is still. I thought, actually, I think, I think, I want to say, I'm sure people really care about this. I think Google forked WebKit long enough ago that they have now rebranded their fork to something else. Uh, Oh, that might be. This this is one of those things that used to matter a lot more. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I feel like a blink. Uh, I believe I believe Blink is now what Google calls. Uh, anyway, this is a digression we don't have to get into, but it, it's you know it's kind of especially when we're talking about stuff like this. Like it is kind of nice to know what the underlying technology is running your browser because it's something people some people may still not realize. Every browser on uh, iOS yeah. is actually is actually just WebKit under the hood. It's actually Apple's page rendering code running within something like Chrome or Firefox or even like um, kind of like downloadable web apps or whatever. Like it's all, it's all Apple's web browser with 
the trappings of something like Chrome on top of it. Yeah, when you click a Reddit link and it opens a web page in Reddit that's using Safari, it's using Safari's renderer, even though yep. it doesn't have the rest of the Safari stuff around it. So uh, the upshot on this is that there. So on iOS now, there's kind of three tiers of apps. There's like apps from the App Store that you have to go into the store, you have to authenticate, you have to download. They can have in-app purchases. They can talk to Bluetooth devices. They can use like your maps and geolocation and all the sensors on your phone if you give it permission. Uh, there's there's uh, in Safari, there's a button you can hit that says save this web page as a home page, home screen shortcut. And that just ma- basically makes a shortcut directly into that into that Safari tab on your, on your, on your device. I, I use that a lot for uh, things like our beep tool. It turns mm-hmm. out same. Um, but in that now, case, to be clear, in that case, it is just opening Safari, the app and loading that tab. Correct. Well, see, it's funny because once you, now that you can change the default browser, it opens whatever your default browser is. Right. So like when I click it, it opens a Firefox tab now. But what I mean is it doesn't, it doesn't open a discrete app, quote unquote, as far as the operating system is concerned. It's just, it's just spawning your existing browser app and opening within that. That's right. It just opens another tab in your, in your default browser. Yeah. And that's a distinction to make because I think there is this third category, right? Yeah, this third category that I think maybe a lot of people don't realize is a web app. And it's uh, it's basically like a, a souped up website that has access to things like push notifications and um, it, you can get uh, geolocation data. There's some sensors that you can give access to, but not stuff like Bluetooth. And you can also cache the stuff that allows it to work offline, which is an important distinction. Right. Um, these are called progressive web apps by Google. Uh, Apple kind of invented this when the first iPhone before there were app stores. Like this is what the HTML5 app apps that they talked about early on were and then immediately ditched with the second iPhone in favor of having an app store where they had more control. And um, uh, often you'll see like a web page will be like, hey, do you want to install on on your device? And you click that and it doesn't go to the app store, it just installs. That's the web app version. Uh, So Apple's getting rid of those in the EU because they say that if they have to give, uh, if they have to support other rendering engines than WebKit, uh, then, then they can't. They, they just can't do it safely. It's impossible, uh, technologically impossible to do safely and securely. All of these choices that they're making, these difficult choices they're making, they say are to protect consumers and users from malicious software and, and bad applications and data privacy violations and stuff like that. that. This does not sound like an entirely disingenuous argument to me. I mean, is is the requirement that they support any and every other renderer that could possibly be run because they're, you, you could never validate all of them if anybody can just come along and make their own. So so the argument is that they have to support third-party renderers. It doesn't, there's no specification as far as I can tell. Okay. But the, the point is, it's a little, it's a little, I mean, look, my guess is that the, the number of users of these versus the full on, um, like full-blown app versions you were talking about stuff like google maps and and the guardian and and you know giant websites for the most part support these uh i've i went through and pulled there's a site called appsco.pe appscope yep appscope that lists all of these tons of them uh, like it's, there's a, there's one for Instagram, there's one for there's games, there's Rubik's cube solvers, there's all sorts of stuff. And they just show up as apps on your home screen. Like the benefit, the nice thing about these is they're easy to like, since they use this, the, the WebKit renderer. And you, if you have a WebKit ad blocker installed on your phone, they just, the ads just end up blocked in them, which it turns out is kind of a nice user feature when, 
the same thing on a on a app version wouldn't block the ads necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it, it feels like a hey, you didn't specify that we have to keep this feature. It's a low use feature, so we're going to get rid of it. Yeah, um, maybe I'm, maybe not a lot of people have an arms about it, but I, it's it just feels spiteful, honestly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's it. The the that's it on that. Uh, I'm curious if people use have PWAs that they particularly like. Uh, maybe send them into our the Discord or TechPod at content.town. Yeah. The uh, last one on this is Gruber had a good thing. Yeah, about I, RCS support. I just saw this. Um, tucked in, tucked at the bottom of the notes here, and I had forgotten to click this link. And wow, this is actually something I'm super interested in because the the constant blue bubble, green bubble strife turmoil on social media <laughs> has gotten me looking into looking into other kind of um alternative messaging protocols let's say to iMessage or messages whatever they call it now yeah um and i believe actually we probably could have thrown this in there i think didn't the rule that apple does not have to open up messages to other platforms that one that is correct yeah I, it's I not part of, it's not part of the dma it's it's not like i forget what the legal designation was it's not it's, core enough to the platform or something along those lines like it's not considered like an essential part of the service it is not a gatekeeper is the is the right. phrase that they right. use in this in, it, for the platform yeah and i'm sure the existence of whatsapp and other similar cross platform uh, options was a big part of that signal uh, whatsapp signal, um, yeah. uh, uh, telegram all those yeah yes um, but RCS is, I, I haven't looked into it that much, but RCS is kind of like, isn't it sort of the successor to SMS? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a, you know, SMS was made in the nineties at this point. It's really old. It's the, the, you, as you know, if you get SMS pictures from people, they're like, they're like flip phone resolutions, candy yeah. bar phone resolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the idea is that RCS has encryption and some other stuff. I, I don't think it's end to end encrypted. I think it's encrypted point to point. Uh, from carrier to phone and and carrier to phone. Um, but it's not, it's it, just to be clear, it's not an interoperability platform between like current, what we think of as messaging platforms like signal and WhatsApp and iMessage. It's a text message replacement, right? It's so, a new, it's a new baseline for you can't use your platform or third party messaging thing. This is the fallback kind of thing. Yeah. Apple has said they weren't going to support it. They said they weren't going to support it for a long time. And then all of a sudden they changed their mind right around the time all this DMA stuff came out. Oh, weird. Um, Who would have thought? Yeah. The, the thing, the point Gruber makes uh, at Daring Fireball, I think is, is probably accurate, which is that they, the EU doesn't really care about RCS, but China sure does. Okay. Uh, and, uh, his take is that China is, uh, making them support RCS. Interesting. Is that, yeah. do, you, do we have a, some kind of government, government ruling or something in place here? Well, Chinese carriers have been proponents of RCS. Uh, the, the last year they codified into law that to achieve certification, 5G devices will be required to support RP, RCS in China. Ah, okay. So that's the, that's, yeah. that's the key. And weirdly, they aren't. So the 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 important factor about RCS is that there isn't a standard for encryption built into it. So uh, weirdly, the Chinese government isn't really worried about that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the and and Gruber has a thing that he does where he he cites little birdies, which means he's talked to somebody at Apple generally. Uh, and that that's that's why they're supporting RCS all of a sudden is because if they want to continue selling phones to the billion people that live in China. Yeah, I, hopefully that'll be global. I would 
certainly hope because I mean that that can only benefit people like messaging between an iPhone and Android, for example, if they didn't bother to go get something like WhatsApp. Yeah, and it's two, interesting because I think that the reason I think that. So there's a thing that people maybe don't realize, which is that iMessage is two separate things. It's the client for SMS messages on your phone, but it's also a client for phone to phone iOS communications or yeah. device to device iOS and Mac communications. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially, it's like two different protocols in one and that's what's denoted by the color of the bubble. Yeah. But, but, um, and that's why, that's why the EU said it wasn't a gatekeeper, right? Is because right. it's not, it isn't the, the only way you can communicate. You can still use SMS to communicate inside these places. Yeah. But you know, um, like I said, somebody who texts with, I mean, probably everybody has this uh, experience, right? Nope. Like I've you, cut them all out of my life. <laughs> no boy, more green bubbles. Didn't take you as one of those. No, I'm kidding. I don't give a shit. I don't um, te- I, I honestly, I hardly ever text is the thing. Yeah. But I mean, just having a better standard as a fallback, if you're messaging somebody who's not using another iPhone, like just having, having a more capable baseline standard to fall back to would be great. Yeah. And, and like, it's, it's funny because as I, my daughters come into school age, I do interact with a lot more green bubbles than I used to. And it's always a problem because it's like, like they, well, now they can see emojis and stuff that you add onto the messages, but, but it was, it was always challenging. People miss group messages, the whole thing. It's adds, adds unneeded drama to our lives. I guess. I mean, um, I guess this makes me a certified old, like as long as the text gets through, I kind of don't care. (laughs) I honestly, I just wish that Apple would, um, would make iMessage like why I wish they'd make iMessage clients for windows and Android. It would be a, lovely to have as Dude. somebody who uses a windows PC yes. on the, as the daily driver to be able to iMessage from this windows machine oh. would change my life. It would be a significant improvement. Anyway. I know, and I know people, people will probably write in or talk about this on the discord. There are options for doing that, but they're somewhat limited. I use phone link, the windows app on yeah. my, on my windows desktop. It's fine. It's also really annoying whenever I make a call or use the, the voice activation, it acts like there's a call on my phone, which is just bizarre. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it is a, a, a frustrating, frustrating mix of good and bad. Yes. These phone link software. Yes. They're all, they're all kind of dodgy hacks to get yeah. that to work. What was the, what was the app Beeper was the one you're Beeper. thinking about Beeper yeah. a few months ago was the one that they basically, they, they exploited a vulnerability. I believe yeah, is what they weirdly, were doing. They got shut down. I don't know why. Yeah. To, uh, to let people use iMessage properly with their phone number without an Apple account. And that lasted about three days. Yep. That's about what, ha- that's about how long they usually last. Uh, Beeper has been trying this for years now. They've been working on it. I think they had a solution that you ran a piece of software on a Mac someplace yes, yes. or pay them monthly to run a piece of software on one of their Macs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm less enthusiastic about giving third parties access to my N10 encrypted communications. Yep. Anyway, uh, that's, so that's it for the DMA stuff. I'm sure there will be more from this, from, from the other affected people, including TikTok, uh, Amazon alphabet meta and Microsoft. It seems like the Amazon stuff is mostly uh store and ads, uh, marketplace and ads, which is interesting. I'm surprised that they didn't like, they didn't look at any of the backend hosting stuff that Microsoft and Amazon do. So last up it's dice time, baby was dice time was it's over now it used to be dice but it's over now <laughs> go on 
It's, Go on. Uh, yeah. So Dice, uh, we we talked about this at the, the start of the show, but Dice is where uh, a business. Uh, I mean, there's there's look, there's creative people at Dice too, but it's a lot of business happens at Dice. It's a lot of pitching games and a lot of like figuring out how to pitch your game and the 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 AIAS awards happens at Dice, which is one of my. Uh, I, I think it's my favorite of the video game awards uh, shows. The GDC awards were also very good. Um, and uh, talking to some friends who were there, talking, uh, seeing people like Danny O'Dwyer tweeted the gist of this whole article yesterday, uh, which is, I mean, the whole the whole talk here yesterday, which is that like no business is happening at Dice, which is unusual. Last year, a little bit of business happened at Dice, but typically Dice is where a lot of your like independent studios sign publishers for their upcoming titles or sign platform deals or or whatever, or or at least get the ball rolling on that. Um, and uh, yeah, this year, nobody's doing any business, nobody's spending money and, uh, it, like everybody's pretty much grousing about Embracer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know Embracer group, this was a, I think this happened for such a long time that it became a running bit on multiple gaming podcasts, including, oh, yeah. including the Bombcast. I think, right? Yes. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this started way before they were even Embracer. They yeah. were, they were THQ Nordic prior to the embracing kicking off. Uh, at which point I, I, I think they, the first time I remember this being in the news was when they bought kind of the entire stable of THQ IP. Yeah, that was, that was the first big buy. Um, and then they bought, they bought the, over the years, they bought like tripwire, the people who make killing floor, they bought gearbox, they bought, um, I they, Montreal. They, they came in possession of a ton of other IP like tomb Raider and Deus Ex and didn't they buy all of the IP that IO had except for Hitman? I or were can't they part of that remember. deal. I can't remember. Maybe that was somebody else. Maybe it was. Maybe that was the Square Enix sold. Yeah. Sold. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I was part of Square Enix and then ended up bungeeing themselves back into independence. But anyway, the point is, Embracer has bought a bunch of studios and also mid-tier publishers. Importantly, so like publishers that work in that three to twenty million dollar budget range. Um, and at last June, famously. They they had spent a whole bunch of money and expected to get more investment from from their partners. And then the investment didn't come or the deal that was going to seal the investment didn't come. And uh, they looked up and I, I guess they realized they were completely out of money. That was a surreal day. It was a if, bad day. If you, if you follow games industry news, because I think it was the CEO, right? I think it was yeah. literally Lars Wingafors or whatever. Yep. I think he might've been due at some financial conference anyway. And the deal had just collapsed the night before it was, was the day before their quarterly reporting. Oh, that's what it was. And he, he looked visibly disheveled and not quite Broken. holding it, holding it together. Like it was bizarre to see an executive go on stage in that state. Their, their COO resigned over yeah. this. Like it was a multi-billion dollar IP deal. I don't, I still don't think we know what the IP was necessarily. I think people have guessed. Um, uh, we do know the investor was the Saudi Arabian fund though. Yes. Um, uh, but any, anyway, like, like I've, I've thought from time to time looking back at that, like it was definitely the bellwether for the way games business has gone with layoffs and, and, and investment falling through and everything, but it was not the cause, you know, like I've, I've, I've looked back at, at points going like, did that get the ball rolling? And then a bunch of other people started following suit. Was that a domino falling? But I mean, the way that the larger economy and the larger business world is tracking, I don't think it's, it's not unique to games and it's just, Things were probably going to go this way regardless. Maybe the Embracer thing just accelerated it. Well, so t- the tech, the tech 
tech worlds, the Googles and Facebooks and all those had been doing layoffs prior to Embracer having this problem. But the thing that this did was just basically was nails in the coffin for any new game investment and right. that kind of double A mid range, you know, mid range indie kind of kind of space. Uh, and, and obviously, also the interest rates going up had a lot to do with this too, because interest yeah. rates going up means that people weren't willing to take as quite the same level of risk that they typically do. Yeah. Just to be clear, games are a risk. Yeah, I mean, um, as much things we've talked about it on numerous podcasts, numerous times. It was not just the interest rates going up. It's the fact that they were non-existent for years. Yeah. It's the fact that there was like an, an abnormal growth uh, in consumer spending over the pandemic that has slowed down. Like it's a bunch and, of factors that cause people to make a bunch of risky bets that have now failed. Well, and in gaming, especially because people because gaming saw gaming really benefited from the pandemic. For, for black, not, not to, you know, people were staying home and looking for new things to do with their time. And a lot brought a lot of people into games that had either left or had never been into games before. Yeah. Anyway, people at dice apparently were spending a lot of time grousing about embracer laying off 8% of their workforce, which I think accounted to 1400 people and canceling 30 games, which is, I don't think anybody else has, has had like any of the other publishers or like people have laid off more people for sure. Bigger companies have laid off more people, but I don't think I've seen anybody else that was responsible for canceling 30 games. So a lot of games. Thanks embracer. And then of course their quarterly report came out today. They're showing that their while their, while their growth was down a little bit, their profit was still up uh, in the last quarter. So, and uh, Lars reinforced that their overruling principle is to always maximize shareholder value in any given situation. I mean, that, that is the most generic thing you can say about publicly traded companies in a capitalist system. <laughs> like I get, I get why people would be angry about that, but also that's like literally the handbook. But I mean, usually you say that quietly. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yes. And, I, and I, you I don't put it in the annual report. Yeah, I, I get, I get that. Yes. You maybe shouldn't come out and say that, but also it's just like, this is, this is the very pathology that makes this system so so destructive and predatory in the first place. Um, there was, there was some other quote from him about layoffs. What was it just being something people need to get used to or something that everyone needs to get through. Yeah. Was the, was the quote I about mean, layoffs. It's well, the COO for in fairness, the COO did resign after yeah. the deal fell through last year. So good, good on them. I, I, the funny thing was on the, uh, in between the uh, the on the the link, link that I clinked for the story, in between the ads for uh, uh, male enhancements and uh, and get buff protein powders, was a was a you might also like this story, and it was the thing about Iwata not uh, taking a pay cut instead of laying people off at Nintendo, mm-hmm. and how that worked out for them. It's like it seems like huh, weird weird that the algorithm picked this up. Mm-hmm. These two things are related mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's it for us on the news roundup this yeah. week. Yeah, that, that sounds grim. Not not something we didn't expect already, but I guess I guess if there was going to be any kind of turnaround, you would have seen hints of it at Dice. But it sounds like it's just going to be more of the same. I think I think uh, uh, survive twenty four months is the is the general business advice uh, right now. So hopefully everybody who's affected has some cash in the in the in the in the cash bunkers yeah Um, which is which is crazy when you sort of overlay that with the hints coming out of um like this xbox news this past week oh yeah we didn't even talk about that like there's and and sony for that matter like there's already talk of the next consoles and when are those going to get here and are they going to be are they going to be sooner than people thought and it's like yeah you can't put out new platforms these these 
these platforms are so underutilized as it is, it's embarrassing and nobody is able to make games anymore. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Well, and, and also for all intents and purposes, these platforms are like a year old right. in terms of general availability, availability and also, pandemic. right. And also like kind of development practices and, and yeah, you know, games made explicitly just for this hardware and not cross gen. Like, like I don't, I don't know. I, I would love to hear from developers on this, but I get the sense there's still plenty of headroom on these things. Well, at the same time, though, they like if you look at the things that are really moving the needle with the ray tracing and all that stuff, these consoles are pretty underpowered compared yeah. to, you know, a mid range PC that you buy today. So ray tracing and and machine learning uh, yeah. hardware are is is limited to non-existent on these things. So I, I feel like those two specific kind of sea changes, these consoles really missed the boat on by coming out just even one or two years too early. What's the read on the on the handhelds? I saw that both Sony and Microsoft, the rumors of new handhelds from both. Oh, I didn't see the Sony stuff. I don't, I don't think, I don't know that the Microsoft rumors about a handheld have any substance other than that. They have said explicit or like repeatedly multiple, multiple platforms, multiple hardware devices, multiple screens. Like they, they keep hammering okay. the, you know, anywhere you play Xbox games as an Xbox kind of ethos. And I think maybe some people are just looking at the Steam deck and the availability of, of fast APUs now and saying, Hey, Microsoft should do that. But I don't, okay. I don't, I don't know if there's any more concrete stuff than that for them. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested cause it's like, it's a weird, that whole handheld market is a weird, is in a weird space right now. Cause it's like a lot of people are really doing a lot of work in that space um I, for the pc world stuff i've been doing i've been i've spent some time with both the lenovo and the asus handhelds and and like they're it's it's a it is a very weird market is is all i can say We're, we'll talk about more on the on upcoming pc world videos i guess yeah yeah that, that stuff's really interesting in the pc space i think if people are expecting like a portable xbox that plays the same games as a new like set top entertainment center xbox they're in for a rude awakening though unless oh, man put a screen on the back of your series s just jam it just put a couple controllers on the there side it'll be fine just carry that thing around yeah uh, unless unless the platform holders mandate hey you have to produce a a build that runs on this handheld now like if that's part of the actual platform requirements is hey you now now have to support three targets people love more targets so that mm -hmm. i will tell you developers mm -hmm. love supporting more targets yeah. um so i guess that'll do it for us this week yeah. uh brad as always thank you so thank always you. a pleasure yeah thank you uh, thanks also to all of our listeners. As always, Brad and Will is uh, made a tech pod is a 100% listener supported podcast. If you would like to find out how you can support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod. Again, that's patreon.com slash tech pod. And for five bucks a month, you get access to the fabulous tech pod discord, just full of beautiful nerds. Just like you. If you listen to this whole show and you enjoyed it, there are people in there that you would like to talk to. I assure you. Um, we also do a monthly patron episode. I, if I had to guess, I would say that this month's episode is going to be a about hell diving and JB weld. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. That cable, it was windy last night. Did it hold the cable may or may not still, it's only been up for less than 24 hours now. I want to hear the story, but not here. The tension on the cable. It was not wanting to stick. If I had it to do over again. I would have gone out there with a roll of some kind of heavy duty tape. Mm. And after I applied to the JB weld, I would have then taped the little cable holders to the wall long enough for it to set and cure. Or is it the other way around? Does it cure and then set? To get sets and then cures. Okay. I don't know. I've, I've, I've never really used JB Weld. That's I, I'm interested to hear about this, but we'll do that on the patron episode in the next week or so. It smells terrible. Yeah, I mean, all epoxy stuff smells bad. It turns out. 
Uh, but if you would like to join, if you'd like to back the Patreon and support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash checkpod. And as always, a very special thank you goes out to our executive producer tier patrons, including Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Jordan Lippett, Bunny Fiend, comma, The, Just Wedge, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen, James Kamek, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Thank you all so, so much. We appreciate you all. Yes, we do. And on that note, we will be back next week. Have a good week, everyone. We will talk to you then. And spread managed democracy, I guess. 